increasingly there are fears in many parts of the West that the Russians may exercise some retribution for the use of foreign fighters taking part in a war against Russia in Ukraine. There's nothing that can be done, basically, by many of the governments as private individuals and citizens join the fight. There are estimates that some 1,000 foreigners have already joined the fight from many parts of the world. Some are former Ukrainians or children of Ukrainian immigrants who are living in third countries, either in Europe, United States, or Canada. But the Canadian group seems to be one of the largest and best organized, called the Norman Brigade. This group consists of some 550 fighters. They are operating in the region of Kiev. The group is seen as potentially a problem for the United States and others because this increasingly would allow President Putin and the Russians to claim that there is direct participation by NATO, or at least citizens of NATO countries. There is anger among many in the West that the United States, particularly the Pentagon, rejected an offer of Poland aircraft to Ukraine. But the Canadian situation is something that is completely different. Foreign fighters from the UK's Norman Brigade have departed for the front at the train station in Lviv, Ukraine. There are at least 550 Canadians similarly in Ukraine to fight Russian troops. The Reuters news agency has been reporting and in fact shown photos of the patches of the members of these foreign fighters who are taking part. It's not much different than many foreign fighters who took part in combat against the United States and the coalition in Iraq. There were foreign fighters from Syria, many parts of the Middle East, including Palestine and Jordan, who joined Saddam's armies and fought, some of them being some of the most heavily armed fighters. The Soviet Union in the past also had to deal with so-called foreign fighters of a certain group that called itself the base. It was a group known as Al-Qaeda, and it was formed by Osama bin Laden back in the day. Primarily the group was eventually seen as a terrorist organization, and rightly so because its actions turned back against the very countries from where they came, primarily because they didn't back the efforts of these foreign fighters from taking part. The efforts are growing, and there are many that worry about the situation in that country. So what is the mission of these 550 fighters from Canada? What is their goal? Let's listen to this excerpt from Canada's National Post about what is happening with this group of foreign fighters in the area of Ukraine and its capital. What's going to happen to military personnel who have deserted their posts to go to fight in Ukraine? They'll be in an awful lot of trouble. Well, what does that mean? Well, they have, they have, to be clear, and the army has put out a statement overnight um, to, to, to say this. It is illegal for a British service person to 
uh, well, first of all, to go absent without leave in the first place, but to go absent without leave in order to fight in a foreign war is simply unacceptable and frankly risks the United Kingdom um, being, uh, you know, uh, wrongly claimed by Russia to be a belligerent in this. And I think, you know, service people who might think that they are doing the right thing should reflect that it is 100% not the correct thing to be doing. And I'd go further and say it's not just that small, very, that very small number of soldiers that have got AWOL um, apparently in order to go and fight in Ukraine. I would say to the wider veterans community, I know, because I have stood in the room where you do your attestation and you accept the unlimited liability in the service of your country to stand up for what's right in the world. Um, but there's a thing deep inside you as a soldier that makes you see TV images like the ones you're showing and makes you want to go and fight to put things right. But no good comes from British service people or veterans going to Ukraine to be a part of this. The Ukrainians have got a huge amount of uh, manpower than their army. The Ukrainian nation has rallied to take up arms. The role that the West is playing is to provide them with the best weaponry that we can so that they can achieve their aims and we are supporting every way we can. This is not the time for people to be going there. And more importantly, Kay, as the Ukrainians have made clear, once you cross the border with the, with the uh, expectation to fight, you're in it for good. So people who think they can go there do a couple of weeks, take some selfies, get some Instagram shots, and then come home. That is not the way the Ukrainians are viewing the people that go to fight for them. British people should not be doing it. So that is... Uh, My name's Dan Snod. That I'll is, tell you. That is James, that is James Heapy, the uh, UK Minister for Armed Forces. Uh, he is an elected member of Parliament who serves in that position and uh, is, is part of Boris Johnson's uh, cabinet. And... Uh, he is the minister for the armed forces, and essentially uh, is is uh, what, what I guess we would call the uh, not the secretary of defense because there is a separate position for that in the UK. Uh, he primarily, I guess, would say would be the uh, uh, secretary of the army, or uh, you know, because the the British structure is different. They've combined much of their uh, their forces into UK forces, much like the Canadians have combined into. British forces. There are separate commands still, but, but it's a different structure. But anyway, what he's saying is primarily is that um, they have had a situation in the United Kingdom where many fighters, uh, reservists or active duty members of the British, uh, British military are actually um, essentially deserting their post, uh, not bringing their weapons, but suddenly just going over to Ukraine and uh, joining the fight. And the warning is clear is that if you join the fight in Ukraine and you happen to be a Brit, according to uh, Minister Heapy, uh, you are there, you're stuck there. How are we going to deal uh, until with this, this monster thing is, is over? Um, mothers and babies. And of course, you know, it's, it's, it's a very different situation for the British. Uh, they have not seen a war in Europe on this scale uh, in, in a while. And, uh, you know, it's. It, hasn't happened since uh, since bosnia uh you know if, if you listen to the way sky news is uh, reporting it uh they of course are very fearful because by themselves the uk would not be able to stand up to russia uh one-on-one -on -one in terms of, of forces let me let me give you a statistic uh the british 
have a few hundred combat aircraft. Russia has several thousand. The British have, uh, you know, uh, still a very effective navy, but it is nowhere to what it was, say, during even the 1960s or the 1970s, for that matter. Uh, they've drawn down their forces to, to that of uh, essentially uh, a, a small country. France and Germany have far larger military forces and uh, combat vehicles. The British, for example, have basically done away with much of their armor. Uh, they do not have enough tanks to deal with um, a major problem from, from Russia. Um, if what was arrayed in Ukraine was on British soil, the British would not be able to deal with it. They just don't have that number of troops. They don't have that kind of capability anymore. And many singular European countries would not be able to deal with it on their own. It is only together, uh, for example, Spain by itself would not be able to deal with this onslaught. Uh, France probably still has this level of, of force protection, this level of force projection, this level of military force. Germany um, has, on paper at least, that level and could be able to stand up to it. But at the end of the day, many of the uh, um, British defense force focus is primarily on uh, the situation of, of just not having wars. And that's why they've joined the European Union. That's why they've created these, these units and all that. And so as we listen and think about what, what is going on in Europe, let's listen again to uh, Minister Heapy and uh, you know the situation with war crimes and how the British people are viewing this conflict as ugly as it is particularly in the wake of uh, uh, so-called atrocities that are charged by the European Union and the West, but that the Russians claim may not have been their fault. Uh, the Russians are claiming, of course, that uh, the Ukrainians are actually basing forces inside some of these so-called sensitive targets, civilian targets. And if the Russians have proof of that, then uh, that ceases to make these targets um, non-military. And that is, of course, something that, that every military deals with. Even the United States had to deal with in Iraq and Afghanistan and uh, during the war in Kuwait, uh, to liberate Kuwait. It was, it was an issue uh, at that time because the Iraqis based themselves, uh, for example, in, in uh, I, I remember the uh, situation where the Iraqis were using uh, laser-guided range finders to call out the ranges on American tanks that were rolling into Baghdad during Operation Rolling Thunder by the 3rd Infantry Division. Well, some of those laser rangefinders, which were calling out for Iraqi artillery positions and targets where they could hit using uh, anti-tank guided missiles and these types of things, were located in hotels where media members were. And the signals given off by those laser rangefinders are the same as signals used on out-of-focus lenses on cameras. And uh, it was in one of these situations where, uh, allegedly, a uh, U.S. M1A1 Abrams detected a infrared signature coming from a building, turned and fired. Unfortunately, the people who were killed turned out to be a group of journalists from the Reuters news agency, a group of, group of camera people. And that was very sad. It was only later realized that it was probably a, a Russian team on a lower floor using much more accurate and sensitive rangefinders that were tracking these um, uh, vehicles um, to be able to take them out. But anyway, 
let's go back to James C.P. as he discusses war crimes and those issues, because the reason I raised that point was over the Reuters journalist, is that tank crew was actually, you know, brought up on allegations of, of such actions of firing on civilian targets. But they were able to show the records in their tank showing that kind of data. See? So, so, you know, you can make the allegations of war crimes, but you have to also be able to back it up. But anyway, here's what the British Ministry of Defense is saying from the Armed Forces Minister, James Heapy, who is a member of Parliament. It's about their tactics, because the fact is that they are launching artillery and missiles into urban areas where they know that targeting is challenging, and they are using weapon systems that are not precision. Uh, that is a policy choice that they've made. And the West is watching, and Russian commanders need to remember that war crimes are not just committed by those at the very top of the Russian government. They are committed all the way down the chain of command by all who are involved. And these atrocities are being watched, they're being catalogued, and people will be held to account. Does Britain want this uh, latest incident in Mariupol to be investigated as a war crime? Yes, absolutely. There's, I mean, it is. What you see on your TV screens is a war crime. Now, clearly, there is evidence to be gathered in which to prove that it is a war crime. And Western countries are working together to make sure that that evidence is gathered in the best way so that people can be held to account. But let's be clear, what Putin is doing is not a war waged between two militaries. Right now, he has besieged the number of Ukrainian cities. He's waged a war against Ukrainian civilians. Let's listen to what's going on with this so-called Norman Brigade of foreign fighters as they move around the areas of Ukraine's capital of Kiev. The 550 would-be fighters that have arrived from Canada so far are part of a battalion based in Kiev said the representative of the International Legion for the Territorial Defense of Ukraine, who asked not to be identified for security reasons. International Legion volunteers are usually kept together for logistics purposes as it is easier for communication to avoid language barriers, he said. Meanwhile, an Ukrainian-Canadian activist helping in the recruitment of fighters in this country said hundreds more have volunteered to fight in Ukraine. So the effort is a, a growing one, and it's mostly from Canada. But there are groups from the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, uh, parts of uh, the former uh, Soviet bloc countries, such as Hungary, Moldova, and others, who are joining these uh, basically foreign volunteers. The vast majority have some uh, blood ties, as, as is the simplest way of putting it, uh, or you know, relatives or, or history with Ukraine themselves, and uh, especially the fighters who are coming from Poland, who happened to have relatives in the northern part of Ukraine, which at one time was, you know, within the last hundred years or so, was actually part of Poland. You, you've got to remember that for from the year 1470 or something, Ukraine, uh, or, or what was basically the Principality of Kiev, which was uh, what it was called at the time, was essentially merged into what was Poland and Lithuania. And uh, it was known as a region called the Ukraine at that time, even by the Polish and Lithuanian kingdom that stretched essentially from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea. 
In fact, it was one of uh, the largest uh, kingdoms in, in Central Europe. So the blood ties across this vast region and what eventually merged with to become the Austro-Hungarian Empire is large. The Russians also took their part. Catherine the Great chopped off its section uh, in the Great Partition of Poland. And essentially one half of what had been this principality of Kiev wound up in Russia. The other half wound up in Europe with the uh, uh, with the uh, uh, you know uh, part of Ukraine that that wound up uh, in in the hands of uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The remnants of the Austro-Hungarian Empire eventually grew into what we now essentially know as uh, Hungary, uh, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Slovenia, much of the Balkans, and uh, this this entire empire that was that was chopped up from Central Europe after the end of World War One. So basically 100 years ago, you know, we're, we're, we're 2022, uh, much of those countries came into being in, after the end of World War I, which was about 2019, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> 1919. Uh, and so, so, you know, by 1920, 21, 22, they were still forming their governments and, and creating uh, religion, tribal ties, these types of things. Often there were also false boundaries created. And that, of course, uh, led to the situation of uh, what some say caused the problems in places like the Balkans and uh, other parts of, uh, of uh, these, uh, uh, these regions. But the issue of foreign fighters is, is not an issue that is taken lightly by many um people in, in Russia. See, the, the Russians have one fear, and that is of invasion, because over the recent centuries, the Russians have been invaded several times. And it is essentially a, a vast area um, that has its portions and areas that are being looked at as the primary reason uh, for this growing, um, uh, how would I put it? Uh, this growing uh, grouping of uh, this entire um, overall situation of uh, people looking at the problems of the Ukraine. Now, many of the refugees from Ukraine settled in places like Western New York. So you have a very large Polish, Ukrainian, Lithuanian population in upstate New York. And uh, a lot of this is, is in the area surrounding a region known today as Rochester, uh, also up to Batavia, and going over to uh, Buffalo and, and the outskirts. So that's why you have a, a very large population of uh, Ukrainians and Poles that have settled in the region, because actually the climate, the conditions, um, much of the countryside pretty much reminds them um, you know, of uh, Poland and, and that type of thing. So as people look at this situation and what the potential is now with 2 million refugees leaving, uh, a lot of people are wondering how this is going on and how the situation with, you know, foreign fighters and the entire problem uh, that that presents is going to create a long-term issue with the Russians attempting to 
somehow get back at those countries that have come in. But we need to listen and think about what exactly all of this means and where exactly the most desperate situation lies and what exactly could be happening in the near future for the continued presence of this problem. There is a lot of people who are very concerned with what is going on, particularly as the situation worsens when it comes to Russian perception of the ongoing conflict. And that perception, unfortunately, is not an easy one to deal with. You know, one of Russia's biggest fears has always been a rearmed Germany, much like, for example, a rearmed Japan is a fear that exists for countries uh, who lived under Japanese occupation during World War II. Um, for example, China has this almost uh, strange fear, along with Korea and others, about that. But when the German Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, made announcements that they would be coming out and helping to defend Ukrainian integrity of its territory, and also its allies in NATO and Poland, there's been a lot of concern, particularly in Russia, as they worry about that situation escalating. Remember, two major wars in Europe, two of the major world wars were started when Germany and Russia clashed. German Chancellor Oleg Scholz made a shocking announcement declaring that Germany would massively increase its defense spending in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. If Berlin carries this planned out, German rearmament may be the most significant geopolitical consequence of Russia's unprovoked aggression. A brief history of German rearmament upon its establishment, the Federal Republic of Germany was prohibited from fielding armed forces. It soon became evident, however, that NATO would require German troops in order to defend the Central Front from Warsaw Pact forces. So, you know, with, a, with an increasingly armed Germany, it could mean a lot to countries like Russia as to what that means. And of course, that is something that is disconcerting for some who worry what exactly all of this could mean. If indeed Russia views this actions as something that is a challenge to their position as a global power and their so-called spheres of influence. While there's no specific law for American civilians prevent them from uh, going out and volunteering, so long as the term is volunteering, to go join the fight in Ukraine, uh, there is no uh, existing law that prevents, uh, for example, them from joining a private military company and uh, serving as security personnel. There are specific laws internationally about being mercenaries and hired by uh, foreign governments or private individuals to fight in, under another country's flag. Um, and how they might be treated as prisoners in such a situation might be an issue of concern for them should they eventually be captured for example, by the Russians, they could be considered as uh, foreign combatants or, uh, you know, a, a non 
military combatants unless they are wearing a Ukrainian uniform and serving in the Ukrainian military. Uh, this is something that, that is very disconcerting to people who would attempt to volunteer and go over to Ukraine and fight. There are legal ramifications about this that need to be thought out before any such action can be done. Meanwhile, as we listen to this and we look at this and as we uh, see what is happening, we also have to go and take a look at the situation from what the United States is saying in its rejection of the Polish offer of MiG-29s that they intended to give um, to Ukraine so that the Ukrainians could have these fighter aircraft that they already know how to use and maintain. Uh, the MiG-29s, about 27 of them, were scheduled to be given and flown to an American military base in Ramstein, Germany, and then handed over uh, to the, uh, the uh, um, uh, forces of, of, of Ukraine. However, that offer was uh, stopped amidst protests by Russia, warning that such action could result in reprisals. The intelligence community has assessed that the transfer of MiG-29s to Ukraine may be mistaken as escalatory and could result in significant Russian reaction that might increase the prospects of a military escalation with NATO. could lead to a major war if the foreign nationals are fighting on the side of the Ukrainians. It is an unofficial multinational fight now. And this has to be looked at for what it is, potential rise of an incredible move that could see wider, broader conflict ahead. That's our first cast this morning on Mike of New York. We'll get back to you with more as events more. I'm Mike of New York, and this is your Wednesday cast coming from New York City. Have a great day. We're going to be coming up with more topics as we move along this morning. This podcast is created in New York City. Why am I going?